Uh, now that Wimpy's here and he's got an audio setup working and Popey's here, right? Popey, you still here? Did you leave? What an asshole. Maybe. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> so I saw, I, some, I saw some shenanigans on Google+. Plus. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. It's a, a super secret social network that apparently nobody knows about. And, yeah, uh, this town I had. Yeah, that's what I'm told. Yeah, there's no one on it. Uh, but just some guy on there, Alan something or other, Pope something or other, uh, posted a link about a super retro installer that reminded me of the good old days. And then I dug a little deeper and I discovered there is a brand new edition of Ubuntu Mate in the works, but it's not based on like 1504 or some shenanigans like that. No, friends, it's based on 1404. What the heck's going on here, guys? What? Um, people want it. It's as simple as that. Since, since Just giving, we, yeah, giving them what since, they need. <laughs> since we since we started this, the number one thing that everyone's been asking for is when is there going to be an LTS version? People hmm. want to install it and forget about it. Set so, it and forget and it. Then, yeah, after so that, we're making it'll it. be 1004, then 804, <laughs> then 606. <laughs> oh, Wait, isn't 804 already? You want me over at 606. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's interesting. So I guess, boy, huh? Look at that. Well, I'll tell you what's what, wrong actually, with this picture. It's, it's, it sounds it's like you're evil. listening to your users. What? I know. I know. I actually pay attention to what they say. Well, actually, yeah. Wimpy is listening to the user. Yeah, the guy who comes in and says, "I would like 1404." You know, that guy. We're making a distro just for him. No, there's, that's there's awesome. thousands it's kind of, of like people chairs. Asked for this. I'm kidding. Yeah. No, that's good though. I th- it's I think it's uh, I think people are I think it also shows that people are all in on the LTS model, which is yeah, it really exactly. does. Yeah. Especially you know on Ubuntu, that's what wins. Yep. But um, actually, 1404 is quite an evolution on 1410. So I think this 1404 release is going to be what 1410 should have been. So a lot, is, lot of new features and a lot of fixes. Really? So in some ways, sure. it's it's more of a newer version. It is a newer version. So, for example, so in the in the fourteen oh four version, there's indicator support, so you can add indicators in there now. And uh, we've pulled in all the latest uh, Mate packages from uh, Debbie and Jesse. So there's a number wow. of updates there. And then I've been working with all the guys from the Accessible Computing Foundation, and we have fixed everything that they've reported that didn't work with regards to accessibility. So, for them, this is a big deal. This is freaking brilliant. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it seems like backwards, it. and I think it's better. Yeah, it is backwards I'm in a sense. But, yeah, and you know what else? Like, the Mate desktop environment is perfect for something you can set and forget for a long time because it's it's very much, like, uh, of a time that is sort of already established, right? So it's, like, perfect for that. I think it's the coolest thing. And I've, I've just come back from a weekend in Germany where I've been at um, the X2Go gathering where the Mate desktop is very popular amongst them for deployment of remote terminal services. Oh, really? Boy, I've been wanting to do a yeah. segment on X2Go for a little while now. Well, okay, if you if you look at X2Go, there's a couple of new features. They've got this, this new layer called Telekinesis, and then they've developed this uh, M-Teleplayer. And that is stonking. So this is a tool that's been developed for doing real-time streaming of audio, uh, uh, of audio and video, through the remote terminal services. And the demo I saw this weekend was a dual screen with full uh, 4K video streaming over a remote terminal desktop, and it was stunning. That wow. is slick going to check yeah, it out. Yeah, and this this has been this has been developed because there's a company that's trying to develop some sort of uh set-top box type devices for use in China for delivering uh streaming video services and they're doing it by bringing the whole 
desktop application to the client rather than just the streaming video. That's wow. going to be exciting. I've played with some of that stuff, uh, and it worked surprisingly well even a few years ago. Yeah, well, it's it's hot rocking now. I'm really impressed. I, I didn't know much about it until this weekend, and I, I came away thinking, yeah, this is something I really need to get more involved in. So I've I've already started adding some integration pieces for X to go into Marte. All so, right, Wimpy. There's uh, just before you wrap up, Chris. There's a question in the I, in the IRC. Uh, one of the JB Live listeners is asking, can can you turn a standard Ubuntu fourteen oh four install yeah. with a PPA into a Marte fourteen oh four? Do you think? You can, and there's a blog article I posted on the Ubuntu Mate website that explains how to do it. Ooh. Boom. Nice. That's exciting. I think it's, it's like not as good as the real that. thing, though. Wait for the ISO. It's coming out at the weekend, and that's what you want to use. Well, isn't it interesting how the Mate edition, in a way, is sort of skewing, like, so much of the trendy, like, push it. Like, it's, it's different. Like, it's pushing it forward and introducing a lot of new stuff and making users happy. But it's not chasing like the shiny, right? It's it's a different kind of pushing it forward, and it's really cool to see it. And it's so the so the LTS makes so much sense in that context. I I think that's really exciting. It kind of brings it really appeals to, to me. I, to, you know, I like it. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, Matt, I think Matt, I'm looking. You, Skype you want machines? to install the fourteen oh four version because you know how you like okay. to. Yeah, you know how you like to wait a couple of months for all the bugs to get wrangled out. I do. Well, curiously, it's that back step to fourteen oh four that's got all the stability and fixes in it that you'll be waiting for. So that's the one you want to install. And nice. Yeah, I'll check that out. Fourteen oh four is solid just because it's going it's to get like hardware enablements for a while, and I mean, so it's that's awesome. It's brilliant for running Steam as well. Uh, nice, nice, yeah, yeah. nice. Yeah, that's what I, or I was actually thinking it's probably the perfect Skype and Mumble rig OS. Yes. Yeah. That's what I'm using exactly that yeah. now. Yeah, yeah 1404 Ubuntu Mate uh, with Mumble. It all works fine. I have a random question. Do you guys know of any... Uh, we've been playing with a couple of different packages. Uh, VSXU, I think, is one of them, something like that. I'm looking for something that will monitor your default line in and do a full-screen, real-time, like, waveform visualizer. Almost like, you know, like the old classic Winamp or iTunes plugins. Maybe not something as gaudy. Maybe something that's just a straightforward waveform. So, like, right now in this show, we have the chat room up on the screen. Uh, but from time to time, we might want to have a show that's not live. So we wouldn't have a mm. chat room to put up there. So we were thinking, but it's an audio-only show. We need to have the waveform as we talk. And I'd love to have a Linux box that just has whatever's coming on the default in visualized that I could then capture... And put that into our our video recording. Um, uh, I believe there is, and I will look at that while the show is going on. Cool. Yeah. Maybe maybe you mentioned the post show or something because I've looked yeah. at a few of them and like we really need something that would be kind of full screen, something that's attractive, and mm-hmm. something that doesn't require like a lot of them I looked at will play your music collection or or things like that. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's powered by deep philosophical discussions. I don't even know what that means, but I'm going to go with it. My name is Chris. And my name is Matt. I guess it'd be a philosophical discussions. I was trying to come up with a new term and I had nothing, Matt. Nothing. You were that, kind of morphing with the words. I felt it, though. I that's felt what it. I get it's for okay. doing a cold open. Well, uh, 65, episode 65, and we got a big show. we got some follow-up on the OpenSUSE review, plus some new news and developments there. Uh, producer Eric, he's become like our local OpenSUSE advocate. He's been running it. He's switched to Tumbleweed. He's even rolling the good stuff now, and he's got some follow-up notes from our review, so we'll cover that. 
there's a new device, an open source hardware device that promises to replace all password managers. I think we're going to talk about that a little bit. And then one of our brothers has fallen. One of our fellow podcasts is coming to an end. And uh, we'll spend a little time talking about that. And uh, maybe what the root, the cause of that, and if it's a problem that's going to spread. We'll discuss that in the show today, too. Plus, lots of feedback, Matt. So, man, we got a whole big show. I got like show. I got like 15 tabs open right now. I sh- you know Holy what I cow. need, Matt? I need something like tab groups. Just imagine if I could group all of my tabs together. Too bad Chrome doesn't support that, huh? That's really a shame. <laughs> I was waiting for that to dig I, in. Yeah. I, guess, I guess there's just no way to do that. Anyways. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> hey, Mumble Room. How are you guys doing? <laughs> you know, I was actually waiting for that discussion to happen at some point, ever since I became a producer. I uh, I don't know. Uh, oh, is that something Firefox does? Oh, that's good to know. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, uh-huh. that was uh, that was a heated discussion we had on the pre-show where the entire mumble room ganged up on me and tried to get me to switch to Firefox. Uh, but I believe I, I emerged uh, unswitched, although still considering. I have tried it before. I may try it again. You never know. Like sometimes I walk away and I'm like, I'm never switching. And then a couple of days go by and, you know, I'm going to switch. I'll take a challenge. So uh, if you're inspired to take a Firefox challenge, you know what? All right. All right. <laughs> I'll do it. Here we go. I'll take. convinced yourself. Yeah, I just did. I just. I, I know that you're wondering what the pool's going to be for how long, how many days yeah. he does this. I'll just, uh, start one later. Yes, I just flip <laughs> flopped right here on air. Uh, all right, Popey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm going in with you, Popey. I'm gonna take starting tonight. I'm gonna start taking the Firefox challenge. So if anybody out there at home is listening, and and is ready to switch back to Firefox or switch to Firefox from something, maybe it's Chrome, maybe it's Internet Explorer. Uh, I'm going to start tonight. So start with me, and we'll see if we make it to the next Linux Unplugged. That's my benchmark. And I'll tell you up front, I'm concerned about UI legginess, inadequate syncing, and a lack of appropriate markdown extensions, primarily template, which is the name of the extension, which is extremely hard to Google when the template extension is called template. Anyways. You know what the most important thing is, Chris, is that as long as you can go ahead and watch uh, Netflix in it without any problems, you're golden. Oh, wait, that's right. You can't. And by the way, uh, if I have problems with Firefox, the answer coming back is, well, you should submit a bug is not going to be acceptable when there's an alternative that does the things. Anyways, moving on from that, we'll do a follow-up in next week's episode. And so if anybody out there wants to take the Firefox challenge with me, let's start tonight. In the meantime, and Popey, how long are you going to do it for? Are you going to go try to make it till next week? Are you just going to keep going as long as possible? I'll I'll try and last longer than you. Let's let's have a little (laughs) composition, shall Mm. we? (laughs) You know, so wait a minute. Okay. Are you are you going to try to make okay all right fine Popey no wait no I can't do it I can't do it because I have show prep stuff that you don't have to do you don't have to worry about the markdown stuff like I worry about I'm oh gonna, all right I'll tell you what <laughs> I'm going to try to get it to next week it just means show prep is going to take longer and I have a lot of shows all right I'll get to it till next week and then if I can keep going I'll be like Kramer driving on empty I'll keep on going as long as I possibly can until I run out of fuel in the in the Firefox tank I'll be checking on you okay and Rotten Corpse you're going to take a challenge too. Yeah, I'll take the Oprium challenge. Okay, good. Oprium! <laughs> you know what? I'm younger than all of you. I have better stamina, so I will try to last the longest on Firefox. What are you on right now? Uh, I'm on Chrome, of course. Okay, good. All right. Okay, good. All right. So we've got of course. A, we got a, we got a, we got a genuine uh, <laughs> masters of our own domain uh, competition here. I like. Oh, that. hell! I'll join. Oh, you, can you install Firefox on OpenSUSE? They got a repo for that, Eric. 
Don't need a repo. It's in the main. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that how that works? All right. Uh, so David from Alabama writes in, and uh, he says, save me from Unity. Sorry, guys. For those of you who love Unity, don't take offense. But he'll, he, he breaks it down here. He says, what's up, guys? I love all the JB shows, especially Last Foe and Unplugged. I'm a football co- coach. And he says, yes, insert your dumb jo- uh, jock joke here. Hey, jocks are allowed in Linux. Trust us. It's fine. I mean, we might just resent you a little bit, but your totes allowed. Uh, no, I kid. Uh, but really, he says, I like Linux, and I listen to you guys on my way to work on my Nexus 5. Even though a lot of what you guys talk about tends to be over my head, I learn a lot. I noticed that you said Borderlands 2 and Borderlands the pre-sequel have come to Linux, so I downloaded both on my Ubuntu 14.04 box. I have the NVIDIA proprietary drivers installed, and my hardware specs are pretty good. I got a GTX 750 Ti. It's got an AMD FX 8320 CPU. Everything seems groovy under Ubuntu, but he's just he's not liking Unity. It's not working for him. He says, I just don't find it aesthetically pleasing for myself, so I loaded GNOME. I like it a lot, but when he plays games in full screen in GNOME, he notices there's like a screen tearing effect. He said under Unity, yeah. he used Compass Settings Manager to disable full uh, full screen uh, rendering, or what's it called, the, the unidirectional, uh, un, uh, unredirect, unredirect full screen applications is what the checkbox is called in Compass Manager. So he did that for Unity, but now there's no such setting under GNOME. So I'm not totally sure that the screen tearing he's seen under GNOME is due to any compositing. But I thought maybe we could punt it to the mumble room. Maybe there's been some folks in here that have troubleshot this kind of stuff. Uh, any ideas for what could be causing screen tearing on his 3D games? Well, by what? chance, did he say what kind of game it was? Borderlands. I'm assuming it's Borderlands. And it's an NVIDIA, it's an NVIDIA graphics card with the proprietary driver. Uh, and I was wondering if it could be a V-Sync issue. Me too. It sounds like it. Yeah. Sorry, this cropped up on the Ubuntu Mate community a couple of days ago, and some, somebody actually found a fix for it. So if you give me a minute, I'll go and okay. find the solution. Yeah. But, oh. yeah. There's oh. a similar problem in XFCE with its compositor turned on, causes a lot of screen tearing. You can get rid of yeah. that by using Compton, I believe it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I believe it's Compton. Yeah. I, and I, uh, I've, I, I'm not positive because I've been essentially the same setup. GNOME 3, NVIDIA graphics card. I think mine's a, it was, I've tried it on a 600 series and a 700 series graphics card. Full screen, Borderlands. I don't have any tearing on my local screen. I actually sometimes get tearing on capture because it's sending an interlay signal out. But on my local LCD panel, no tearing. Uh, and I, I'm, I cannot remember if VSync plays a role in this. I seem to remember it does. Uh, so if anybody has any suggestions too, you could also put it... Uh, in the uh, comment sections for the feedback. I'm reading the chat room right now. Uh, Floppy Bacon says GLX blank is the option. Check for that. GLX V blank. Mm. Look for that. So, yeah. Uh, and if you if you do find it, you can drop it in the uh, in the uh, uh, chat room or if you're listening after the fact in the subreddit. I believe the Arch subreddit has something about that with graphics in particular. Okay. Yeah, it's it's... I know, no, like, not Arch Subreddit, but Arch Wiki. And I know, like Cinnamon two point four, which was just released last week. One of the things that they enabled by default is when an application goes full screen, the compositor disabled is disabled. Uh, Kwin does this as well. Yep. I, I, my understanding is though Mutter does as well, but uh, I'm not yeah. sure, and I have not noticed the problem myself. Okay, next email comes in from Les. So we now we just heard about a hardware woe. Les wants to take the other track. In fact, he thinks maybe we don't do this often enough. He says, hey, Chris, Matt in the Mumble Room, in a recent episode of Linux Unplugged, there was discussion about a laptop that had a graphics issue when booting Linux. Chris made a comment that he was 
disappointed these kinds of things are happening still. I think as a Linux community, we beat ourselves up about this far too much. Yes, there is occasional problems, but as a community, we focus on these problems, often cite them as reasons why Linux is unsuccessful, on the desktop even. But to counter this, I wanted to mention my recent experience. I bought a Samsung laptop, I use it for testing, and I've had no problems installing Ubuntu, Elementary, or even OpenBSD. With the exception of a binary driver for Wi-Fi and OpenBSD, everything works out of the box, including graphics and power management sleep mode. Last week, though, I had the need for a Windows 7 system. So, as the laptop originally came with it, I installed a fresh copy of Windows 7. After the install, the graphics were terrible. And on inspection, Windows had failed to identify nine items of hardware. This included both the wired and wireless NICs. I then had to spend a whole evening first trying to get my NIC working and then trying to track down the drivers. I had many hours of searching using Samsung's tool, only to find six of the nine drivers. After many hours, I finally got it all working using another detection tool from Intel that identified some of my chipset. Then when the system finally restarted after installing everything, it all ended with the blue screen of death loop. Uh, At that point, I gave up and just installed Ubuntu Mate Edition, which, of course, worked perfectly. Sorry for the long story. But I think it's important that we recognize yeah, it's far yeah. worse than other platforms, and maybe we should focus on the oh, positives yeah. a bit more. Linux hardware detection is pretty good. I remember the days of Red Hat 4.x. Keep up the great work and stay positive. Less. Isn't he right? He's huh. really right. Yeah, I would agree. It's I would definitely so agree. so much better. And then out of the box, like the, the only system that is better than uh, uh, like hardware detection out of the box is OS 10 because you can only install it on Macs. But as soon as you try to put it on anything else, it is a full-fledged train wreck. And Windows is just as bad. Like you get lucky with the Windows box if your NIC's detected and it's semi-older hardware, like it's in that Windows sweet spot. It'll pull down a lot of it, but nothing matches Linux with the diversity, right? I mean, nothing. That's true. I mean, I remember back in the repair days, you always had that spare NIC that you kept on hand so that when you repaired someone's computer and you knew you were going to have to chase down those drivers, you had a means of connecting to the Internet to do so. Um, that, was a, that was a definite interesting time. And, yeah, Linux really uh-huh. solves those problems. Yeah, I mean, yeah. legacy peripherals are even a better example. Daredevilin, do you suppose that we sometimes focus on the negative stuff because we're problem solvers? We want to you know, analyze the problem and try to fix it? Totally. And I think this non-acceptance of uh, something uh, still missing or something not working is what makes us in the position, what puts us in the position we are, really. And I think we actually should keep that mentality, is that we'll keep improving Linux, contrary to Windows folks, which stabilize, look, they're dying. Eric, have you ever have you ever had that experience where like you pull a drive from one Linux rig and move it over to another machine and plug it in and it actually boots up? Yes, I have. It's brilliant. It just like automatically yeah. the kernel knows what it's doing. It yeah. detects the hardware, configures the the machine for that hardware and boom, you're done. I actually not exactly moving a drive from one machine to another, but using Clonezilla to clone an entire yeah. disk from one disk to another. Yeah. Yeah. And it just works. It works better than Windows and a lot better than Mac. Yeah, Windows will just blue screen uh, if the controller oh, changes yeah. too much. And, and Wimp, you've got some experience with moving the hard drives around to do an install, right? Yeah, I mean, I've got some really ancient hardware. Um, and, and back in the day, I used to install the operating system. I used to take the hard disk out of a laptop that had no NICs and had no Wi-Fi and had no USB. And I put, put the disk in a different machine, install Debian, then take the disk out, plug it into the laptop, and then boot and configure everything and <laughs> install the desktop I wanted. Yeah. And I was doing that back in the late 1990s. So, you know, it, it's been possible for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it it it's what just. It's just so cool. It, it is, uh, I think, one of the best aspects that Linux doesn't get credit for anymore. And I think it's there was a time where it was not as uh, as it was the roses were not as red, but uh, it's pretty it's pretty awesome and something that uh, really sells people when you show them like, yeah, this USB thumbstick, I can just boot your computer with this and everything just works. Uh, and it's it's just blows people's minds still. All right, uh, Aaron writes in. <clears throat> I like Aaron. I like the way he thinks. He says. Uh, I'd like to hear more about your latest experience with ButterFS and why you switched to XFS. Uh, where's the love for good old Extended 4? I'm running OpenSUSE Factory, <laughs> soon to be Tumbleweed, and I was affected by the ButterFS read-only snapshot bug after upgrading from kernel 3.16 to 3.17. So for now, I've disabled snapshots by uninstalling Snapper and the Snapper Zipper plugin. Thankfully, the damage seems to be limited to some corrupted snapshots. Hopefully... When the bug is fixed, the snapshots can be re-enabled, and my two dozen corrupted snapshots can be deleted. I don't want to go nuke and pave style, but if it's necessary, I may go back to Extended 4. From there, I can at least upgrade to ButterFS when it becomes a little more stable. Uh, so I want to talk about, I, I, uh, over the weekend, I finally reloaded my uh, Bonobo Extreme that was the original install since our Arch Challenge. That I was pretty proud that I held that install that long. And it was really, really a great install. The only problem was... I was totally out of storage space. Like, I couldn't install any more games. It even got to the point where I was having a hard time. Like, I couldn't do any more VirtualBox images for demos for LAS. I couldn't install some of the apps I wanted to install to demo on LAS. So it was actually starting to impact show production. So when I really realized I was hitting that that phase of the install, I decided to, to nuke it. And I used uh, Angros, Anteragos, and Anderos <laughs> to install it. And it's been, it's been rocking. And I decided to go this time around XFS instead of ButterFS, even though I was so tempted, you guys. I was so tempted. But it was really the discussion that we had had here in the mumble room at some point where so many people were really advocating XFS that I decided to pull the trigger on that. And uh, my main problem with ButterFS came down to just the fact that DF doesn't actually report the file sizes isn't a huge deal but it was like it just really gnawed at me that i never really felt like i had a super clear snapshot of what my storage situation was and it was slowly getting worse and worse over time and so uh, because i have in my bonobo i have a 128 gigabyte ssd for my home drive and i have a 256 gigabyte ssd that i slice up amongst my main arch installation another distro that i'm trying and like all of the applications and anything like that, so it's a kind of a it's kind of a tight operating margin. And with ButterFS just sort of fudging the extra metadata and things like that, it just became too expensive. Uh, and I don't even remember. I can't remember if it was Blaster uh, or if it was Wimpy uh, who was really advocating XFS so strongly, but somebody sold me on it. And I was an old XFS user from years back as a sysadmin, so I'd had some experiences. It was seemed to be a good file system when I used it. Oh. Anybody in here a big XFS huh. user? Who was that? Yep. It was me. It was Wimpy. Okay, Wimpy. So oh, yeah. do you remember the bullet points of sort of what your main points were for me to switch? Because you convinced me. Yeah, well, I, I went through something similar when I had a disk fail recently. And um, I what, what I've done is slightly different. I've kept um, ButterFS for the root file system. Mm. But I'm using XFS for the home uh, partition for the reasons that you've just outlined. Um, uh, virtual box machines and large files... ButterFS was uh, I, I couldn't seem to rebalance it to to get the space back. I don't know where yeah. it had gone, but it wasn't letting me have it. And I knew full well that there wasn't 
as much data on the device yeah. as it was claiming was there. That so was my that's, situation that's as well. That's why I made the switch. Yeah. But for me, as a as an Arch developer, I want ButterFS on my root file system because I get all the benefit of ButterFS <sighs> on the development tools. Yeah. So that's where it pays off then. And you know, I actually like the. Uh, it sounds crazy. I never thought I would become a fan of it, but the uh, real time uh, LZO compression on ButterFS worked excellent for me performance was good so i missed that especially on an ssd yeah that is great ah so and then i've still got that on the on the root petition so i've got those benefits at boot time maybe i should have done that i was just i felt so burned at the time that i thought no i'm gonna go xfs everywhere keep it yeah i I mean i i I typically use xfs everywhere but on my arch machines i'm i'm sticking with butterfs on the root so the the million dollar question was why xfs over extended for it's just brilliant. It's it's rock solid. It's been it's been it's it's a bit like it's a bit like Marte. You know, it's got a long a long heritage. It's super mature. It uh, it performs as well as or as close to everything else, or exceeds uh, some of the others. So you don't need to tweak it. All the defaults are, are tuned for performance, and it's just bulletproof. And if you want if you want some ButterFS like facilities, then stick LVM underneath it, and then you can snapshot it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, for me, it was sort of the antithesis to ButterFS. Like, it was going to something that was... I mean, I literally deployed systems with XFS in the 90s. So, I mean, I've used it for a really long time. And so I just trust it. And after getting burned by something new, I think I I went to the other extreme. Uh, Wizard, I know you had to mention about parallel writing. Is that for ButterFS or is that another file system? No, that's XFS. Uh, XFS... XFS does do it, it. It does a very a very good job at parallel writing at the same time. So you go and you have multiple files. You're writing them all at the same time. It'll go and it'll actually split up and it'll it'll write them uh, in a very even way and still maintain a f- fairly decent speed. Uh, XFS is great if you don't want uh, if you don't want copy on write or if copy uh, copy on write isn't a super big deal. Right. That was but, sort of I think I remember from our discussion. It was sort of like you get a lot of benefits of ButterFS, a lot of optimizations I wanted from ButterFS. But if I don't want copy on write and I don't want compression, then might as well just go XFS. Yeah, it's it's absolutely wonderful. The only real thing that you'll hear from people, and they're usually people that have been using XFS or used FXFS, XFS in the, the very distant past, was they'll go and they'll say, well, I had a brownout and this did weird things and I couldn't recover the file system. And, you know, it's... It's not a big deal. At least I don't see it as a big deal. And I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't worry about it yourself, just because you have a laptop battery. You know. You know when it's going to go and shut yeah. down. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that truncating to zero bytes on on files that was fixed about ten or eleven years ago. Exactly. It's, it's old news. I know. Yeah. People one, still bring it up. But one other thing that kind of burned me about ButterFS was, I realized maybe six seven months into the game that there was a thing called defragmenting that I should be doing. <laughs> <laughs> right and wimpy that's not such a problem with xfs is it yeah xfs has got really brilliant defrag tools so you can do online defragmentation and it works really well and you know exactly where your data is being used uh, and for someone like you who will have large uh, video files you can defragment individual files rather than having to do the whole file system yeah, yeah. so uh if you leave your uh laptop on overnight just stick a cron job in there to do the xfs defrag on your partitions and it will just stay all nice and uh, hunky-dory and uh wizard you have a comment on the xfs tool set yeah, the actual commands for going and doing like you know stuff like repairing your file system, all this other stuff. You can use all the stuff that you're regular, you're regularly used to, like yes. FCSCK. Right. That was big whatever. for me too. 
Yeah, there's also, you know, and, and if, you know, if you're used to the ButterFS, way, like, oh, I want to use X program to deal with this. You can do that as well, because almost every single one of them has a program of their own, like XFS Repair, or, you know, do, you know, they all have their own. And it's super simple. They're not crazy. You can, you really can read a man page for once and know how it works. Right. That is very true. And Wimpy, we probably should make a mention because the chat room's asking, XFS, as far as you know, supports trim, right? It does, yeah. So there you go. And that, I remember one of the reasons I went ButterFS was, well, it's SSD optimized. When you look into the SSD optimizations, I think it's like they don't they don't massage the access times and it supports trim and a few other things. And I realized when XFS can do that too, that was one of the that was one of the deciding factors for me to choose ButterFS. Is like this is the SSD ready file system. Eh, actually, the old dog XFS can do it too. <laughs> so yeah, I thought what what the heck. So anyways, that's that was my thought process. It was long and convoluted, and probably a lot of it was in pre and post shows. Uh, but it was a it was a long series of discussions that brought us there. And there's a lot you know I I still have. Um, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four current production systems that are still running ButterFS. So it's not like I've switched. I just switched my main, my, my, my Bonobo. I haven't switched all my systems. And I still have a and, server uh, running ButterFS. Here's a question then. So you were, you were uh, obviously loath to lose ButterFS and the compression from the performance point of view. Have you noticed any uh, performance degradation? You know, not really, but it's hard to tell when it's such a new install. Uh my, my, so you really need to fill it up in a few months' time. I think, and then, yeah, then I think back. as the drive gets fuller, I'll see if I start to notice it slowing down. You know, the the interesting thing is this Bonobo is a couple of years old, and um, I, I was when I was setting up, I was like, wow, this I really could not ask for this to be a faster computer. Like this is still exceptionally fast, and so uh, it seems like uh, the current like the current higher end hardware you, for the last couple of years to throw at desktop Linux is more than a sufficient. If you have an SSD and a decent processor, you get really good performance. So I don't know if I'll be able to tell a difference, to be honest. But I do feel like when ButterFS really filled up, like when I'd, when I'd have a virtual machine that was sort of eating away at storage and I didn't realize how fast my drive space was ticking down because it was all happening inside a VM, I, I really felt like I could tell. It almost seemed like, to me, I went down to like spinning hard drive speeds and it was painfully slow, like... Having to watch like my directories like actually like load out and you know all of that just felt really slow. And the only thing that happened is I'd filled up the drive, and when I deleted the drive and and rebalanced, the performance came back. So I don't know if that'll happen. I doubt that'll even happen in XFS. We'll see. Only find out after uh, a little bit of uh, usage. Hey, we're going to uh, follow up on some of our open SUSE coverage, including producer Eric's notes. Uh, before we do that, I want to thank our first sponsor, Linux Academy. Go over to linuxacademy.com/unplugged to get our 33% discount. And that's on your subscription. You're going to stay subscribed to Linux Academy once you go over there. I heard from a lot of folks at Ohio Linux Fest who've really been enjoying Linux Academy. And I just got I just got a message from somebody last night that said their power was out, but they had downloaded Linux Academy's uh, comprehensive study guides and the, the uh, tutorials offline before the power went out and said, oh, they're, they're still doing their studying without the power. It's kind of incredible. So go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Check them out. They've got all the different distributions you could possibly want to try. You choose from those. They'll automatically adjust your courseware. They just added four more courses over the last week. It's a ton of new stuff coming out. They have stuff in the pipeline all through the remainder of the year. Go over there. You can learn anything anything you really could possibly imagine in the Linux system itself. And they're expanding beyond that into AWS, OpenStack, DevOps. You can go over there and get an introduction to Android development, introduction to VMware ESXi if you ended up having to support a VMware environment. Go there and pull that down. 
And what's really nice is as you go through these courses, you can keep track of your progress. They'll give you estimations as you log back in and say, here's where you left off. Here's the index of where you're going to go. This is how long it's going to take. Here's the guide that goes with it. And they also have learning plans where you can set exactly how much availability you have. And it'll automatically adjust the courseware to match that availability. And they'll nudge you and say, hey, remember, you've got to test at the end of the week to keep you involved, to keep you going back. They've got an active support structure in their community as well. Live streams where you can ask questions directly to the instructors. It's one of these things. You really don't understand until you go there and you engage in those resources that are available to you. You begin to move something forward, and it's very rewarding. I've been doing it now since they became a sponsor. Every week I go in there and I try something out, and it's very rewarding. It's, it's intellectually stimulating. I'm able to see what new things interest me, and I'm able to stay current at a much deeper level. And so even though I'm not in the IT field anymore, I still find it to be an incredibly valuable resource. I could only imagine if I was still in IT how handy this would be. You can get a full end-to-end course on the LAMP stack, Apache self-signed SSLs, remote GUI administration set up on Linux, setting up an NFS server, Nginx, Nagios, backing up with rsync, taking care of the Heartbleed bug, all of that. They have scenario-based training, too, so you can do some of these things in lab environments where you'll actually go end-to-end. You'll deploy the software. You'll deploy the application on top of that. You'll integrate in third-party services. You'll have a working product that's accessible from the public because as the courseware requires it, they automatically spin up Linux servers for you on the back end, give them public IP addresses, give you a login. You can assign them roles. It's a really cool system. People just go on and on about it when I meet them in person. It's, it's awesome to hear that. So go over to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and keep sending in your success stories too. I really love hearing that. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And a really big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged show. Okay, so OpenSUSE, as the version 13.2 is officially here, we got ourselves a new green baby. You can go over and get it at the OpenSUSE website. Lots of nice stuff in there. They've also given us uh, the new deets on their new rolling setup. And so I thought we'd talk to producer Eric and anybody in the mumble room that's uh, been running OpenSUSE, do some follow-up from our review, touch on a couple of items. Eric, what do you, let's start with, uh, really quickly, uh, I, I, I know we mentioned it in the review, but you kind of you wanted you had a defense for GNOME software that I thought was fair. We should give it some time. I was because in the review I was like, man, there's so many ways to install software in OpenSUSE. You got three or four different ways, and now they've just thrown in GNOME software. And you kind of raised the point: it does serve some purpose. Yes, it does absolutely. If you understand OpenSUSE, it never. And this is something that you've actually had a gripe about in the past: is that they don't have any good way to for software discovery. Well, that's where GNOME software comes in and fills in that gap. So it's not the best for software discovery, but it's definitely better than nothing. Yeah. I would so, love, yeah. love to see an app that could expose like the coolest and best stuff in software.opensusa.org. Because I feel like there's projects that are plugged into that and generating uh, RPMs for SUSE that I don't even know about. Yeah, but software.opensusa.org is something that you want to search because it's directly tied to the build service. Think of it almost like the AUR. Yeah, art. yeah, yeah. It, basically, there's no way to discover software in the AUR. You've already got to know about it and then search the AUR to find out. Well, software.opensusa.org is the exact same way. In fact, you know, there's the Firefox extension for being able to search the AUR. I've installed that a lot when I've run Arch. But also, in OpenSUSE, I've actually made it so that that search box in there, I can directly search that from my bar using a keyword. Oh, that's handy. 
That's yeah, that makes neat. it super handy. It yeah. makes it super fast to search it as well. Okay. Uh, and I also noticed, too, that you had a Chrome extension in the show notes for a one-click installer for OpenSUSE. Yes. yes. Basically, this guy comes uh, by default with Firefox. Oh, it is? That's... Oh, that's in Firefox. So you mean well, an add-in to Firefox? Oh, okay. It's not really an add-in. It's basically <laughs> they kind of have it in their code. Yeah. It's but a yeah, keyword I mean, There's like an OpenSUSE but... enhancements extension that like does a few things, right? does a few small things to make Firefox work a little better under SUSE. Yeah, just a few small things. This basically fills in the gap for Chrome. If you want to use Chrome, you can just click on that. It'll bring up the YMP file in your browser and say, do you want to install this? Right. You can click on yes, and as long as you've followed the instructions from the plugin page on the Chrome store, it will just basically start that one-click Yeah, it'll fire off up. the ASS installer it'll, and you're yep. off the races. Exactly. Uh, you know, your uncle, as you say, you had to make good uh, in the in the uh, review. Uh, we forgot to touch on uh, how horrible the fonts are by default in OpenSUSE, but it's actually pretty easy to fix. Correct. So in the show notes, all you have to do is you can check out that there's a repo that Chris has on the screen if you're watching the video version and select one of those repos on there, depending on where your which version you have, whether it's 13.1, 13.2 or factory slash tumbleweed. You click on that. Go ahead and copy that into just that, that whole address. URL. Yeah, yeah, the URL into yep. your uh, software repositories in Yast, and then that will you add that. Then there is sudo zipper dup, which is dist distribution upgrade basically, and it will move your font config files over to that. Oh. From the defaults, and then and basically change them to the infinality version. That's pretty straightforward. And so, uh, if you did, if you had any trouble following, Eric has links in the show notes to do that. Uh, so that's that's I would definitely recommend that because I meant to mention that in the uh, in the review. Now something, and you're absolutely a, a right about the font rendering. It's atrocious by default. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> I don't know. It's like they haven't taken anything that infinality or the Ubuntu people have done forever and integrate it. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. But honestly, it's in, in their defense, it's also it's also pretty crap in Fedora by default too. I'll give them that. Yeah. Fonts just need fonts just need to get better. Uh, uh, yeah. All right, but now this is the thing I'm the most excited to talk about because uh the rolling release thing could be extremely compelling if it's done right. And you took the you took the dive, right? Like you've been doing it for what two, three weeks or more? How long have you been about running? two or three weeks after okay. we got done with the Ubuntu? Uh, oh yeah, yeah okay. Last three thirty-five. So that was three weeks I, ago, I think. Th that was about three weeks right? ago. Okay. I went ahead and went all in with OpenSUSE, and knowing it's coming out next, I had been running Factory off and on since Factory was uh, announced to be a full rolling distro. And I've been very impressed with the results, to be honest. Um, there's the initial article right there uh, that's about factory merging with Tumbleweed. Have you had to do the? Today, uh, have you had to do any like open source versus proprietary driver installs on their role? How does that work? Um, I don't have to do that on my machine because yeah. it's running full Intel. Okay. So I really don't have much experience with that. Okay. However, you know there are one-click installs for like the NVIDIA drivers using an actual factory repo or whatnot. Um, one thing that's no important to notice is that as of today, Tumbleweed and Factory are pretty much synonymous. Basically, the Factory repos are just linked over, they're just alias to the Tumbleweed repos, and Tumbleweed is now the name for the rolling distribution as of today, November 4th. Okay. 
Okay. So, uh, and we have linked in the show notes uh, a frequently asked questions that uh, the OpenSUSE project has posted up. And uh, do you get updates every day? Pretty much. It reminds me a lot of Arch in that way, except without the headache of having to manually config files and whatnot. Uh, And you mentioned, too, uh, something about the way the update manager is constantly running in the background, right? Correct. Now, that update manager you were talking about for GNOME, the The, the sort of more plain package updater. Yeah. That is constantly running in the background, just kind of checking the pinging the repos, see if there's anything. And it's always using Zipper as the back end, so it's just basically using Zipper. So if you were on a rolling release, does this just kind of constantly check for updates and just sort of notify you when there's a new update? Well, that's the funny thing about rolling, is that I'm not sure if it does because I haven't had it pop up at all, but in rolling, you're supposed to use Zipper DUP Ah. every time you want to update. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so you don't use any of the built-in software tools. Correct. Not for not for factory or tumbleweed. It's basically that. But those DUP. tools are still there if you if you convert to rolling. Correct. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the other way, the other thing that's kind of nice is there is like a way to sort of jump in more current. Like if you want to go straight to rolling, you can get snapshot ISOs, right? Or am I wrong? It, yes, there are snapshot ISOs you can do if you want to go straight to rolling, like do a fresh install with rolling. Yeah. You can also convert your repos right. over to the factory or tumbleweed. And there seems, are instructions on that. But it seems cleaner. Wouldn't it just be cleaner to go right into a rolling release? Yeah. And that's exactly what I did. I didn't even bother with switching, you yeah. know, installing 13.1 and switching the repos over. I just installed from the ISO. Right. I've converted one install to rolling and it was pretty painless, but I remember there's like a couple of repos I had that, there's specific, it was like a 13.1 version 4, but there wasn't a Tumbleweed version 4, so I couldn't switch that one or something like that. was a problem I'd, where people haven't published more updated, uh, quote-unquote, Tumbleweed packages. There's only like the release versions of packages, and it sort of depends on the project or something. I don't know what I ran into, but there's a couple of repos that had to get disabled when I, ran, when I switched over to rolling. Right, I've run into that myself, and it's kind of annoying when that happens. At the same time, you can still stick with those packages and just install the packages, not subscribe to the repo. And so there's a six-month transition window as we switch from factory to tumbleweed. Am I getting my terminology right? That That's kind of correct. Basically, factory is just kind of linking over to tumbleweed, but what's happening is that that factory alias is going to go bye-bye in six months. So basically, it'll stop working. Um, the new... Uh, repo that you have to subscribe to is that tumbleweed repo okay rotten corpse go ahead i think you're reading my mind um there's only there's one thing that annoys me about OpenSUSE. is there a uh, phrasing for the one-click install from their software website yeah it irritates me because it's like 15 clicks yeah it is a lot of clicks it is a lot it, of clicks. it is and it's really just a branding thing basically mm. the reason it's one-click install is you click on it once in the browser and then you're starting the install process as opposed to having to copy a repo, paste it into right, the software yeah, repository. Yeah. In one click, blah, blah, you get blah. the repo added and the software installed. I can activate a dev file to open one click, and that's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's I, not take isn't this literally. Yeah. <laughs> well, th- they could just not use that term, and it would just so much, so much better. I, it it's did, all marketing, man. Yeah, it is. It crossed my mind during the review when I was – because, you know, during the review, when you, when you first set it up, 
It's like when you run it at the most, right? And when you combine that with the uh, media manager trying to check my thumb drive, which also brings up two prompts, and then you combine that with the fact that I enter my password, and then to kind of make it a little worse, and it's not really their fault, this is kind of the way GTK th- theming works a lot of times, is you start the, pro- the first process as yourself, as, in my case, my Chris F. user. And then once I enter in my password... Those filing, following dialog boxes are now running as root, so they drop all of my GTK theme, right? They look completely different. So not only is there three or four windows that come up, several prompts that come up, but half of the windows don't look like the other half of the windows. It's not a very... Yeah, it's not their fault. Yeah. KDE does the same thing. It's not a very elegant transition or process, but I, I, after I went through it a few times, I was like, yeah, this could definitely be tightened up, but I also just appreciate like the ease at which I am getting subscribed to the repo which is really, for me, the most valuable thing. Because at the end of the day, I could go to any website and download an RPM and install it and and just do that, and that's fine. But for me, the true value of the one-click install is not only am I installing it, but I'm also getting that repo, so I'm getting those future updates. And to, I, that that's more than just installing software. That's also sort of, quote-unquote, subscribing to that software. And to me, that's worth a little extra hassle. I think it could be rebranded too, though, but, you know. What's also cool catchy. about that is... Once you subscribe to that repo, say you find another package that you want to use with the one-click on install on, you don't remember if you're in, you're subscribed to that repo or not, it's not going to double up the repo. It's going to use the same yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, that is nice, too. Uh, all right, Eric, was there anything else we want to cover in our open SUSE follow-up? Oh, Plasma no, 5, that... didn't you want to mention Plasma 5? Yeah, uh, just a... Plasma 5 is a separate repo you have to subscribe to if you want it. There are instructions from the KDE portal on how to do that. But, yeah, as far as Plasma 5 goes, it is the best Plasma 5 experience I've ever had on open on any KDE distro at all. That includes Kubuntu. I mean, all of the, the Breeze theme, they ha- instead of having the, uh, what is it, the uh, cute curve theme, mm-hmm. it actually, there is a dedicated Breeze theme now, and I was only able to find it in OpenSUSE. That's nice. So that's yeah, something to look so, forward to. It looks to. really nice. Something definitely look forward to. I have reason to believe that if Kubuntu is doing this in the next version with Plasma 5, I have reason to believe that 13.3 will end also be Plasma that 5. Sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So uh, there you go. And the beat goes on. The, uh, I agree, Rotten, that it does sound like a better way to do PPS. That's kind of what my impression was. It's it's a centralized way, sort of like the AUR is a centralized way to find stuff. You get subscribed to the repo. Um, it is more clicks than it needs to be. And yes, I realize you can also do app colon slash slash and a lot of browsers on Ubuntu will recognize that. It's not a totally unique system, but it works but well. But that doesn't subscribe you to the PPA. Well, I suppose I suppose yes, it, it depends. You like if you, there's are, are some Debian's, uh, like the Chrome deb file, when you install that, it also installs a, a repo. So some of them do. Yeah. kind of depends. Uh, but it's it doesn't matter. Like it, it doesn't it doesn't matter if they're the only ones that can do it. it. What matters is that it works and that there's a nice interface on the on, in terms of the website to find stuff. And that part I give them all high marks on. Yeah, consolidating yeah, I mean, the efforts is much better. Yeah, it, it's better than in Fedora where you essentially have three repos. You have Fedora's repos, you right. have Copper, and then you have the community RPM Fusion. Right. So it's it makes it a bit of a pain to determine where you're getting that from. I agree. I agree. And Daredevilin, you had a comment on uh, you. You ran into a problem with network settings. Yes, there's only one major problem, which is if you don't read uh, the page when you're going to install, and you for some reason you're still not uh, on IPv6, you need to go manually on the settings and put, enable that. 
Right. Yeah, what was interesting is the installer uses YAS to configure the network interface, but the desktop uses Network Manager. So once you get through the installation, those two things don't communicate. So if you had to join Wi-Fi in the installation and it has a password, when you, re- when you reboot the box after installation, you have no connection. And it took me a second. Like, wait a minute. I was just on Wi-Fi. Oh, right. One was Yast. One was Network Manager. Now, how would a regular non-Linux person know that? Like, would they – why would they – even- like someone just thinking about IPv6 and IPv4 difference. Someone that it's not a computer geek. And, the, you know, and, the, and what, what, what kind of tipped me off is once my desktop was booted up and installed, uh, I was just looking at Yast and I brought up the network management utilities to see what options were available in there. And I got an error message saying, no, you're now using network manager. You can't use this tool. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. You can disable ma- network right. manager. But I don't want to. Tool. I don't want to. I want to use network to. manager. I know I want to, so that's fine. Network manager is fine. It was just kind of, a, it was just kind of a, a thud when I logged in and I went to go. Uh, I didn't even realize at first that I wasn't connected because so many times, like when I, when I build an arch box, like during that installation process, like the network is established before pretty much anything else. And like when I install Ubuntu, like if I, if I join the network, during installation, that holds over. Like all distributions, really, for the most part, do that because a lot of distributions now, you boot up into a live environment, and in that live environment, you use Network Manager to configure, and they must just move those settings over. Uh, right, it's and fine. That's, that's what they do in terms of Ubuntu. Um, if you want to use that network settings in Yast, you can. It's just that one tab is disabled for you yeah, if you're yeah. using Network Manager. Yeah. In fact, that's the only way you can change your host name. It's just funny. It bit both Matt and I, so it must be common enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, uh, but Eric, great follow up and great links in the show notes, which we'll have, especially if you want to work on your fonts and stuff like that. He's got all that in there, so check that out. And if you've been rolling, if you've been rolling open SUSE, let us know how it's going in the feedback thread in the uh, Linux Action Show subreddit. Uh, hello, Jack. How you doing, Jack? All right. Well, why don't we take a? <laughs> I want to talk about something kind of neat, um, and. Uh, Oh, you know what? Actually, let's reverse the order. I was going to talk about uh, a new piece of hardware, but that's a little bit more of a positive note. I want to end on a positive note. So next, I want to talk about uh, our brothers in arms over at Linux Outlaws calling it a day. Uh, before we do that, I want to thank our friends at DigitalOcean. Head over to DigitalOcean.com right now. DigitalOcean.com. And save this promo code in the back of your mind. Like, channel it to yourself. Say, future self. It's a critical piece of information that I have collected from the past and want to I want to put this forward. So just think about it hard right now. Unplug November. That's your promo code. Unplug November when you check out. At least it should be. I actually haven't checked my inbox this morning. I apologize. Unplugged October will probably work for a while too. That'll get you a $10 credit over at DigitalOcean. We love DigitalOcean. And so many of you have tried it out, but yet so many of you have yet to try it out. So you're really in a perfect position to go over there and play with something. And then later, I think you'll be surprised at how easy it is to put that in production and how well to work for you. So uh, what is DigitalOcean? You're not familiar? Well, DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. I was uh, playing around with some of my droplets just the other night, and I turned one off uh, just to move. You know, just to, I was experimenting actually with uh, taking uh, snapshots and resetting passwords and all this, just trying different things out because I love the interface over DigitalOcean. And uh, I've been adding more machines, and I thought, okay, let's try a few things. So I turned off a box. I didn't know Rikai was using it for development at the time. <laughs> Oh, no. You know, the thing is, is like we spin these droplets up and they're just so useful. We keep finding more and more uses for them. And they make it so easier over DigitalOcean. You can get started in less than 55 seconds. And pricing plans start only $5 per month. They get you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. 
And DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. So you could build a global distributed network if you want. And their interface, whoo, their interface is simple and intuitive, but yet very powerful. And the best part is, is you can replicate it on a larger scale with their straightforward API. And you've already seen a lot of great apps out there that integrate in with Puppet, Unity. Uh, there's some great command line tools, Python scripts. It, there's so many things you can use that API for that the community has already created for you, too. That's just the great thing about that API is it doesn't mean you got to do the work. Other people are doing it as well, but you could, too. You can snap it right in. And then if you need to scale on demand, if you got a busy day, you need to make sure your web front end is still responsive. You could, you, you could integrate that API and deploy right onto scale uh, right up there. You can scale right up to DigitalOcean, use their droplets, spin them up when you need them, spin them down when you don't. They have hourly pricing if you want them. And if you use our promo code, Unplugged October, or probably Unplugged November, depending on the timing, you can try it out for two months for absolutely free. And DigitalOcean's taking the tutorials up to the next level. They're offering up to $200 if you'll write a tutorial for them. And if you go to their Instagram feed today... <laughs> They posted one of their uh, tutorial editors. Oh, I think he might have broken his leg. I'm not oh, sure. No. What, yeah, I'm not sure what was going on. But there, he was sitting there editing one of the tutorials. It was a pretty funny shot. It's on DigitalOcean's Instagram feed. They also got some DigitalOcean uh, data center porn up there, which is I'm a big fan of that. So I think it's just Instagram.com/slash/DigitalOcean. But you'd probably be able to find them. Go over to DigitalOcean.com. Spin up your own free droplet. Try out CoreOS for a couple of months. It's pretty innovative. It's pretty exciting. I think it's going to be a big deal in the server space, and you can go play with it right now on a server that's got Tier 1 bandwidth in a data center anywhere you want it. It's an awesome opportunity to do it for absolutely free. You just add the promo code Unplugged October to your account. It credits your account to $10, and you just run it as long as it lasts. DigitalOcean.com, and a huge thank you to DigitalOcean for being so damn awesome and sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Okay, so uh, let's talk about the Linux Outlaw guys. They... Uh, they announced, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before. Let's see, where is the date? Uh, November 3rd, so yesterday. They announced that uh, in five episodes, they'll be calling it a, 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 an end. After seven years oh. of uh, producing Linux Outlaws, uh, it sounds like kind of for both the guys, for both Dan and Fab, that maybe their interests have diverged over the time. Uh, they're not done necessarily podcasting, but they're probably going to take a break and come back and do something they're super passionate about. It definitely sounds like maybe the production just came a bit of a chore and definitely understandable after seven years. I mean, that can become a lot of work. Uh, and so um, I, I wanted to take a minute to kind of talk about how sometimes there's certain pillars in the community that go away because maybe they're not as involved anymore or they're not as interested anymore. And is this a... Uh, is this something that is concerning? Is this a general trend? I mean, I think, Eric, when you and I were talking about on the pre-show, you're like, I'm worried that this suggests maybe something that just happens to enthusiasts over time. And I, I started thinking about that when you mentioned that. And I thought, well, we've all been in this a while. Like, Matt and I specifically have been doing this particular, mm-hmm. been following this particular scene for a long time. Burnout is a big problem. And people yeah. move on. I mean, Matt, when you hear about things like this, when you hear about somebody or a group of people that have been working at something for so long, what crosses your mind when they call it an end? Well, usually, sometimes it ends up just being an extended hiatus. I mean, for myself with podcasting, I mean, when I before I joined Jupiter Broadcasting, that was actually what had happened from another uh, popular podcast. So, you know, they may come back with something mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. even cooler. So. Yes, burnout is a thing, and sometimes people just have to kind of, uh, kind of keep trucking and find out what works for them. But I don't think it's necessarily a problem. I think it's evolution. I think people just evolve. Yeah, it's sad to see something go. Yeah, but it, right. Things change. Uh, Popey, you say missing friends. What do you mean? Yeah, this this reminds me. I mean, I, I 
I know Dan and Fab quite well. We, uh, on the Ubuntu UK podcast with Linux Outlaws, we organized a bunch of live events in the UK mm-hmm. called OggCamp. Right. So, um, yeah, we worked quite closely with them on those. And I'll be interested to know what happens in the future. But it's reminded me of, um, I was doing a presentation recently and I used some photos from previous Ubuntu developer summits and, uh, you know, the, like the kind of collective photo of everyone who was there. And I was looking through picking out faces of people who used to contribute to various projects, Ubuntu and other stuff, who no longer do or who've whose careers have moved on or they've uh, they've just stopped contributing they still use the software but they stop contributing and i got a little bit sad because these are friendships mm. that we've built over the years and they've people who've you know moved on is uh, this to the something threat? else no, is this i see when eric said this what i started thinking is maybe what we're really worried about is in open source we're so dependent on so many people volunteering their time based on their passion but sometimes passion has its limits it runs out after mm-hmm. a while and is it maybe what we're actually afraid of is so much of what we depend on uh, that's created by amazing people those people eventually go away and so right and, and you've got to have coping mechanisms and uh, you know time off that's one reason why on the ubuntu podcast we finish at christmas every year and take a break for two months it's so we, we don't we don't solidly go you lose like, all your listeners but it's a good idea no, no we don't i can't, I can't. Don't. no it's good it's like uh, and, the, you know, and Linux Outlaws has taken a lot of breaks over the years, but it doesn't, you know, at a certain point, it still becomes a chore. And that's totally understandable. I guess, uh, Eric, I didn't want to speak for you too much, but did I kind of summarize your thoughts? Or when you heard this news, what crossed your mind? That's exactly what crossed my mind, actually. You did summarize my thoughts very well. The thing is, if you get at something for a long amount of time, you don't take a break every now and then, you don't pace yourself. I've seen this time and time again. You will burn out. It's just the It's just the way... The human body is designed. Yeah, I wonder. It is designed to take rest. I wonder if I didn't do this full time. I, I couldn't imagine. Definitely, obviously, not this many shows. Well, but. there's there's a difference though because you you create content and you have a whole team of people around you. With Dan and Fab, it's just the two of them, and they, I, as I understand it, Fab does all of the editing. Um, and he's right. a, he. To be fair, he's a bit precious about it, um, and doesn't like anyone else. But other people have offered to take on the job, and he's yeah. quite a perfectionist and, that and can, wouldn't let anyone yeah. touch it. Yeah, in fact, I think if you don't if you don't kind of build a team, uh, that's exactly what happens, right? Right. And so, like, you know, people like you who have a team of people, whether you, you know, pay them or not, or whether they're community people who are volunteering their time, is largely irrelevant. They're people who are helping you get the thing out. And if you don't have that crutch to lean on, and I think, you're screwed. I think, too, it's, uh, I, I look at it and I, I, what I don't, what I don't like is I don't want it to represent, um, a decline in the interest because I don't I don't sense that I see I think a lot of people have no. have sort of associated with oh there's a there's a less of an interest in the market I don't think that's actually true I think it's just sometimes the people like in their case Stan and Fab sometimes their interests change and so mm-hmm. uh, it's harder it becomes harder and harder you can see in the evolution of the show they start covering more generalized technology and topics and security in the NSA sort of diverging more and more from Linux as a topic itself. Uh, well, I, arguably, Linux is more popular now than it has right. ever been That's, in the past. Yeah, so exactly it can't possibly be that it's not popular. Right. It's just popular to different people for different reasons. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, that's I think. Ex- and I think it's uh, it's natural that as that changes, uh, it might not be as appealing to some people. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, Wizard, go ahead. I'll jump in. That's I was kind of all the thoughts I had. I just wanted to make a mention to it, and you know, tip yeah. that tip of the hat to him too for all the hard work for so long. But Wizard, go ahead. 
Yeah, so uh, it, it is sad when you see good people leave and all, and and you know, and but I tend to find that a lot of times it's not so much that they're leaving; it's just whatever they're making, it kind of comes to summation or they, it stabilizes or whatever they're doing, it just seems to slow down. And you know, as the thing, as whatever they're doing slows down, they just quit putting as much effort in. Not because it doesn't need it or any, you know, not because it, it's you know, it's you know, it's totally unperfect. It's just they've got what they needed done and now they want to go and use the product because you know they're trying whatever they're doing it's because they're passionate about it they want to see it work and when it works it's like okay i'm done i'm gonna sit back be happy for a little while and then maybe move on to something different <laughs> yeah, very true uh and uh so uh we wish them the best of luck and we'll, we'll stay tuned to see what they uh what they come up with next because uh, i have a feeling we haven't heard the last of of them, because I think uh, Six Guns itself is sticking around, and uh, Og Camp itself, as far as they have plans, yeah. there aren't changing there. Hey, uh, I have something fun to talk about. Something to sort of uh, lift our spirits before we run, maybe get a good debate going. First, though, I want to tell you about something that lifts my spirits every single month. Oh, uh, who was it? I got an email. I think it was Tony. I'm sorry, or it was Tony or Terry? It was a T name. I'm sorry if I'm getting your name wrong, Matt. So you know how we yep. always talk about the savings calculator over at Ting. Oh yes, uh, Tony Preach went. It. Tony went over there and plugged his actual usage in. And he's going to save like 177 something a month. In two years, ah. it's almost going to be four grand. Oh, it's over four grand is what he's going to save by switching to Ting. That's Holy cow. That's like a liquid powered computer. Right <laughs> yeah, there. I know, right? <laughs> you know, that's a serious like, gaming rig every couple of years. And Lux capacitor and it's, all that. It's really simple. It's because Ting is on a mission to make mobile make sense. You only pay for what you use. It's a flat $6 for the line. And then it's just your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes. There's no special plan you have to be in to turn on tethering. If you want to use it, you just check the box, and it's just your data usage. And Ting has an awesome dashboard that lets you manage your account, see exactly where each line is at, nickname them, so I've got funny names for each line. I can set individual limits, alerts, disable lines when I don't need them, and then I don't even have to pay for them. And, and to top it all off, Ting has Tier 1 tech support. Like, you immediately go to the top-level person when you call them at one eight five five ting ftw Anytime between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m., and a real human answers the phone, and they are set up to solve the problem. Like, they have the power to do it. They don't have to talk to their manager. They are the boss. It's great. And they also have an incredible website that you can help yourself over at help.ting.com, I believe, or ting.com slash help. Here's what you do, though. Go to linux.ting.com. That's where you get started. That's your home base, linux.ting.com. That'll take $25 off your first device. If you have a Ting-compatible device, they'll give you a $25 credit. But even more important, you're going to tell them you appreciate them supporting Linux Unplugged by going to linux.ting.com, and you get to put Linux in the URL, which is always fun. Go over to their blog, too, because they just announced that they've rolled out TriBand LTE to 17 new markets. They've been working on this a lot over the last year, tons of new markets. They now have TriBand LTE in over 400 markets across the, or sorry, 500 markets across the United States. Yeah. TriBand, if you're not familiar, is a superior method of LTE where there's three different frequencies that you can get on. And so if one of them is working, you get a good connection. If you get all three, it's amazing. I've got TriBand LTE here at the studio. 18, 20 megabits on my speedtest.net. Not Ooh. uncommon at all. It's really awesome. And now they just rolled it out to 17 new markets. Ting is constantly getting better. If you haven't checked them out in a little while, it's worth revisiting. They've invested millions of dollars into rolling out this tri-band LTE infrastructure. Now 500 markets across the United States have it. Go to linux.ting.com. Take $25 off your first device. Try out that savings calculator. Start saving money right now. Own your phone. Don't get screwed over by the mobile carriers. Get decent support. Use tethering when you need it and only pay for your usage. Linux. 
linux.ting.com, linux.ting.com, and a huge thank you to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. And thanks to everybody who checks them out. I think you'll be pretty impressed. And you'll save lots of money. Okay, so uh, here it is, you guys. Finally, someone has invented the multipass, or multipass from, uh, if you remember, Fifth, ah. fifth Element. Uh, it's called Multipass, an open source offline password keeper. It's a hardware-based password device. I'm going to play a little bit of the video so you get, introduc- you get a little introduction. It's on Indiegogo. They're trying to raise funds. They're trying to get to $110,000 roughly, and they're at $18,000 right now. So I don't know if they're going to make it, but I'll play a little bit of the video for you guys, and then you tell me if you'd back it and what the problems could be and what security problems you might see. So here we go. I'll let this go. Login and passwords oh, yeah. are an integral part of our daily lives. I know it. They're what prevent malicious users from doing harmful things with our personal data. People tend to use the same credentials for the different websites they visit. However, recent news has taught us that credentials stored by websites are compromised on a daily basis, which means that once an attacker gets your credential set, he can use it on other websites. This is why using different passwords for different websites is important. Remembering many different passwords is difficult, and one option is software-based password keepers. Essentially, they store an encrypted credentials database on your computer. To unlock this database, you would enter a passphrase, which means that at some point, Both your passphrase and database must be stored in your computer or smartphone's memory. Therefore, a malicious program could gain access to both and compromise all your passwords at once without you knowing it. To solve this problem, we introduce the MultiPass, an offline password keeper aimed at saving and encrypting your passwords in a more secure manner. The main device contains your encrypted passwords, while a secure smart card and a PIN code allows their decryption. Even if an attacker gets hold of your encrypted database or smart card, it is completely useless without your personal code. And don't worry, we implemented the possibility to make backup copies of your credential database and smart card without compromising your system's security. As opposed to software-based solutions, the MultiPass only runs our tested code independently of your computer. This means viruses or malicious programs cannot compromise your credential database or PIN, neither of which are directly accessible from the computer. Furthermore, our product is open source, allowing you to make sure that your credentials are only kept inside the device and not leaked to the outside. And with MultiPass, you can be sure that your credentials are only in the computer's memory when needed, and when you explicitly permit the MultiPass to send them. Okay, so let's talk about this. So uh, I uh. part of me likes the idea of a hardware-based uh. security device. I'm not going to lie. I like the smart card with the key codes where it, you know, uh, that's nice. Uh, but, um, you know, there's a lot of good software-based solutions like LastPass and KeyPass already existing, Anybody seen this already in the mumble room? Anybody yeah. sort of like ready to go jump on this? Yeah. I've, I've actually, I was looking at this earlier today, actually. Uh, what do you think? It, it, it's an interesting, it's interesting in and of itself, but it, it, like it, what, I, what I'm going to, I'm going to just say that it comes down to is that it's going to require you to carry things around and uh, you know, not that that makes it bad, but 
it's something that's going to stop me because I'm so forgetful and, you know, I can't keep that thing on me all the time whenever I need to go and just shove a password at something. So you know? there's another option. With like LastPass has a thing called Open Sesame. And basically you could put this on this, – it's kind of the same thing but software-wise. Put it on a flash drive. Put the flash drive on your keychain and then mm. you always have it. Yeah. And you could also with LastPass use things like YubiKey as sure. well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and with KeyPass, you can store the database on a flash drive, and that way you keep it with you. It's always with you. Yeah. yeah. I To me, there's too many drawbacks. Losing of the physical item, because I'm mobile, so that means I'd have to bring this with me. I'd have to bring it to my office, to the studio, and to home, uh, which is just not a good idea. Uh, so that's why I'm kind of down on it. But if I was super worried about security, for some reason, this does feel better. Okay, here's what it is, I think. is the you got to understand the guys behind it. They come from an InfoSec background, and I think a lot of them are operating under the assumption that the computer is compromised by default. So you go into the situation mm-hmm. assuming the computer is untrustworthy. Therefore, it's a bad place to store your passwords. It's a bad place to copy them to memory. It's a bad place for, to input your passcode, all of that. Because you're supposed to assume the computer is already compromised. This removes it from that. They, they say it only runs their quote-unquote trusted code, even though it's open source. I don't know exactly what that means. Uh, it's, it's not for me, but I thought it was interesting enough that maybe the audience might be into it. I kind of like, like it for some reason. Something about it I like. Yeah. What I, kinda, what, I, what I thought was really interesting about it was it kind of combined a smart card reader with going and having something that auto, with something as simple as something you can plug in and just have it automatically fill in passwords. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, that certainly is something in and of itself that, that, that is, you know, really interesting as for what it does. It, you know, it combines what we already have had with smart cards for, you know, so long and combines it with something that we've typically only ever seen in software. And, and it kind of makes it very interesting. But. However, though, like it still it still has a few fundamental limitations. Uh, first of all, with bad USB, we now can't fully trust USB if we're super paranoid, which this device seems like a device for the super paranoid. And number two, if it's inputting the password, it's probably using like a human interface driver and sending like a keystrokes with the password because what you do is you go to like your Gmail page, you click on the login box, then you enter your PIN code, and it sends in the password. That's but, exactly what it does. It emulates yep. a keyboard. But that could still be captured. If you have something that's reading the memory on a Windows box, for example, that could still capture that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yep. And Linux has got very good software capture uh, options. So, you know. Yeah, and uh, that target breach, that huge-ass target breach, the, the, that malware was just scraping the RAM. It wasn't doing key captures. It wasn't doing screen dumps. Mm. It was just scraping the RAM and sending the details straight out of RAM. And so that's, you know, that's, this device doesn't really get around that if you still have to enter it in. I don't know exactly, but I guess maybe it's harder to, to monitor something at the, at the human interface driver level, but I doubt it. Uh, Daredevil, really. I, wanted to, I know you wanted to get a chance to chime in, and then I think we'll jump on. Yeah, go ahead. I think um, this is a good initial sta- a step. Yeah. And um, yeah. in, the, in the next generation of these kind of devices, the way I see is better browser integration or better website integration as well that to the point that you can generate a cookie that has your key and you never actually send any data mm. um so your password is not sent to the computer right right type of thing like a token in the initial or something. stages yeah, yeah something right. like that yeah. i think that's kind of the future for that kind of product and, and they have a place 
And as Canseco points out in the IRC, something else I like a lot about it is, you know, they've put all their code up on GitHub. The, the code that runs this thing is open. It's, uh, it's available now. And the other thing about this project is uh, they've got real units. They've already had it in testing. People are already using, using quote-unquote, production units today and have been for months. They've got a, they've got a field of beta testers. So this isn't necessarily a, 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 like a, a pie-in-the-sky project either. This is something that's already a physical device that they've made. There's already existing open source code, so you're kind of backing a sure bet. But their funding is a little short right now, so I don't know. Put a link in the show notes. It's neat. It's an. It's I love open source hardware, um, or at least software that runs on it. So yeah, they got 30 days left. Uh, uh, 18,000 of 110,000. Um, uh, for this release. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No. Okay. All right. Well, something that strikes me, like as I'm as I'm looking into this, is that they did a nice job of showing what it's capable of doing. What they're not really, and again, this is only from the fundraising point of view. What they fail to do is to show what happens when when your current methods, methodology, you know, local access, yeah. local software tools fail. Yeah. Show that, then the money might start kicking in a little faster for them. I don't feel like they did a very good job showing right because people already know that using the same password too many places yeah. is bad. That's not making them stop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I stopped using one, two, three, four, five, six a long time ago. Like it's been a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. And now, yeah. Now I use four, five. <laughs> yeah. Now I use four, five, six, seven. Let's get real. Right? Ex- obviously, right? Yeah. <laughs> or just numbers backwards. That's all good. <laughs> well, uh, it's an Indiegogo. It's called Multipass. Great name. Gotta love the name. If nothing yeah. else. It actually, it kind of, it kind of uh, saddens me that they don't have a cow as their logo. Oh yeah, that would be good too. Multi pass, multi multi pass, or uh, what's your face from uh, Fifth Element? Yeah, what's Mia Joe? Yeah, multi pass. Yeah, all right. I think we're all done. I think we've come done our damage. Uh, I think we'll wrap it up right there. I I just wanted to give you guys that hardware is always fun and something you can get on early, and it's a neat idea too. So that, that'd be neat. We'll have links to everything we've talked about today in the show notes. If you'd like to give us some feedback, some comments on anything we've talked about, go to linuxactionshow.reddit.com. That's also a great place to submit stories, topic ideas, or discussions, or just comment on the existing stories to give us your take, your insights. We integrate all of that into our shows. You can also uh, check us out every single week live over jblive.tv. We do it at 2 p.m. Pacific. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your local time zone. I got some cool projects I'm working on for uh, this week's episode of Linux Action Show, Matt, so uh, buckle up and I'll see you on Sunday, okay? All right, sounds good. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com I'm just going to mention it again, because it's a great place for you to get involved. And if you want more show, it's another plot. You can get just a lot more content, stuff that doesn't even make it in there. Picks. Oh, and we want your runs of Linux. You can also submit them there. Videos would be great. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com And also send us your emails. Go to JupiterBroadcasting.com, click the contact link, choose Linux Unplugged from the drop-down. Feedback is a huge part of this show, and we love getting your emails. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. See you right back here next Tuesday.
don't mind me. I'm just going to go ahead and uh, install uh, Ubuntu Mate Edition 14.04 here. Uh, just uh, when is that going to be out, guys? Hopefully Saturday at the latest Sunday. Mm, very cool. Very cool. All right, jbtitles.com. Oh, everybody, vote. Got to get a title. Got to have a title. Uh, thanks for all the show notes, Eric. I just put all that in the official doc, so that's great. Awesome. You're welcome. Uh, already Is it weird that I do, like, air piano every time we get the outro going? No, I love it. I, I, you guys, <laughs> it's great. It's great. Blaster slow danced with himself, so. I think that's, that's sweet. There that's, you go. That's real dark. Actually, I think I slow danced with Josh, because he was slow dancing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Woo! I did the Stevie Wonder dance. Wow. Oh, boy. <laughs> So it just got weird. I, I, uh, Angie and I have decided we're going to go see a concert in a few weeks for her birthday. We're going to go see Fleetwood Mac. Good choice. It's going to be Good crazy, choice. I think. It's going to be crazy. Ooh. Don't know. Jamie yeah, I was following looking. the two options. I was rooting right. for that. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one's on Thursday. One was on a Saturday. And the Saturday ah. one would have been easier, but the Fleetwood Mac's on Thursday. Yeah. Yes, Jamie Tuttles. Jamie everybody. Let's vote. Yeah. Can I ask for some help? Yeah, do it. So I've had a an audio failure, and I've I've heard some of the you and the other guys talking about USB sound cards and what have you, and I'd like some advice on what should I get that's relatively inexpensive and reliable for plugging in headphones and mic. I got this. Good. Um, good. Anything with a C media chipset is yep. going to do yep. perfectly. Yep. Honestly, I the cheapest would, one. Yeah. Cheapest one that does that is actually it's called the Daffodil. And it, <laughs> I, I know it, it's it's absolutely ridiculous, but if you go on Amazon, it's called the Daffodil yeah. USB sound card. It's like eight dollars. It's the most wonderful little thing that you'll ever buy. I was going okay, to mention that then, one actually. It uses a C media chipset. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And then it's I've never, yeah. They almost that, all that, do. that then has mic and headphone jacks, does it, or do you? It does. Yes. yes. It right, is. okay. And um, what about plugging in like a, a USB headset and mic integrated thingy? Is that a good idea? Yes or no? Yeah, those that are good too. Do the, that could do the trick, especially if your main sound chip is blown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what I use right now. Yeah. My the microphone only... that I'm using right now is a C Media chipset and it's a USB microphone. Yeah, a lot of the headset ones are C Media too. The nice thing about the headset is then you've got uh, headphones and mic in one, so that's nice for mumble. Um, I buy. I have. I literally have three or four of five of those. Really. So let's see. One, two, three in my in my view right now of those C Media sound cards. We just use them around the studio because they work so well under every OS. And uh, yeah, just when I need audio out of a box, I just go there and plug one in. I don't ever. This ever is really it. I've, I've got two workstations here, both of which have let me down this evening. My laptop. I couldn't get on last week when I was traveling because my laptop mic input is died mm. so i'm trying to find something that i can you know in plug terms of just whichever machine i'm on plug and, and go really it. the headset's super easy right the, I mean, the headset's gonna be the most dependable in yeah. my experience uh, pl- uh platronics and pl- i buy them by the gross yeah. i get them like at thrift stores yeah. and just stick them in a box the and I, I, I i'm overflowing with them so the, the yeah. biggest variance is gonna be mic quality on the headsets yeah and, you know you just look yeah. at the different reviews and stuff and you probably find yep. it yeah, there's not too much difference between the actual USB sound device at all. Uh, so, uh, Rayum, one, one, two, three. Hardware compatibility issues. Well, like Rayum's or... pointing out, and I have run into this too. In fact, <laughs> I just, it bit me during the pre show. Uh, sometimes, I don't know if it's the C Media driver or what, but sometimes, like, uh, I, go to, I go to shave off, like, just a little bit of volume towards the low end, and it just totally silences it. Like, there's yeah. a really, like, it just a drops off at the end really fast. Yes, I, I, and that's more than C Media because I have, uh, so I have an Audio Technica USB cardoid microphone, and uh, it has a built-in sound card, so that the whole thing can just be plugged in via USB. 
and it's the same thing, and it's not a C-media chips, uh, chipset at all. Uh, I have no idea what it is. I don't know if it's, you know, a USB thing or... Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can speak for the uh, Gamecom 780. I actually uh, submitted a patch for into the Linux kernel for it, so... And is it, is it causing you problems? Nope. Oh, okay. Not after that patch. Oh, okay. They took it? Good. Okay. Um, yep, yep. Any Plotronics uh, headset will work. I've I've had minimal problems with them over the years, and I've used like 15 of them. I've never had compatibility uh, issues ever. I agree exactly so. with that because I had one when I first started doing this, and it worked brilliantly. Did we ever figure anything out about the uh, tearing issue that uh, our emailer was having? Yeah, sorry, mm. I pasted it in the chat room earlier. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, would you mind pasting it again? Let me find. Yeah, yeah, let me find it. Thank you, and I'll add that to the uh, to the uh, post show cool. notes. Cool, cool. I'm sure somebody listening at home will probably put in a comment too. But uh. I mean, yeah. And whatever headset you choose, I mean, really, the big test is that you know, if it can take being run over, dropped, stepped on, lost, you yeah, know, right, just yeah, basically abused. Tossed that's it on my, the desk. That's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And never be afraid to buy. If you find one that works, buy a couple. Trust me, yeah. you'll thank me later. Yeah, because they go out. They just they <laughs> like like Plantronics had a really really good one for a long time, and they just yeah. they still have good ones, but they quit making the one I really like. They just quit making it. It's like oh, no. I got the old school one. That's the yeah. one I have on the other. Computer like and that's, it's got the like actual adapter attached to the cord midway. I mean, it's like the I best went, one uh, I own. For, so. And then, so the other headset after they stopped making the one I really liked is I got the uh, the Logitech gaming series, the G something. Yeah. And the thing that's kind of yeah. one thing I like about that one is it Logitech has a it has stuff. a light on the mic itself, so you know mm-hmm. when your mic is live because the, 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 it actually lights up the end of the microphone, and then you just flip it up. And it auto mutes the mic, which is kind of nice. You know your mic's muted oh. if you're if the headpiece oh, like is up, that. yeah. And you swing it down, and it unmutes, which is kind of cool. Mm. Uh, mm. And then if you have it on a Windows box, it supports. I don't. I don't think it. I've never tried it on Linux, but it supports seven point surround sound, quote unquote. I don't. It don't. You know, it's kind of a thing. And All with right. any USB anything uh, with audio, you know, again, don't ever depend on the default sound chooser. You're just going to frustrate yourself. Get yourself the uh, Pulse Audio, a uh, Pav Dev chooser or whatever the hell they call it. Um, yeah, right. yeah. You'll rely yeah. on that. Yeah.